En, to. Nei, jeg tøver ikke. En, to. Hail och säl, or should I perhaps say godan dag, or should I say two year and peace, you know, till års och fridar, as the old ones used to say. After all, the season is upon us, or is it? If you're an old listener, you already know, and if you're a newcomer, then, well, you should listen to the end of the episode and find out. Either way, the light-hearted Yuletide special is the only episode you can ever really anticipate in the Brute Norse catalog. What is the Brute Norse year without this anchor, this cosmic pillar, to keep this podcast from tumbling into chaos? Even if my schedule is otherwise ever so irregular, at least you can count on this very episode every year. There's a lot of peculiar and interesting stuff to say about this season, but luckily I don't have to say it all in one episode. So if you go back in time, as it were, you'll find that other Brute Norse Yuletide specials tackle different subjects. Each has its own little theme. So that over time, maybe I can make a playlist or something? You know, something that you can listen to every year while you're wrapping presents in your cabin in Montana or whatever you do up there. But speaking of themes, one theme that never gets old is the trollish grimness of the Scandinavian winter. And by that, I don't mean that it's particularly cold. I mean more like, uh, more the air of ur-paganism that pervades the... Scandinavian winter season and the Yuletide in particular, even if the beliefs and customs associated with it are neglected, in decline, forgotten, whatever, they're they're still around. You know, shout out to the bastards who sleep on the floor on Christmas Eve just to make sure that the ancestors have somewhere, you know, nice to sleep for a change. Respect to those who bring porridge to the household gnome, who pour one out for the spectral homies, who won't even turn around in the Christmas time out of fear of breaking taboos against uh, circular motions. To the real motherfuckers out there who don't even go outside for days out of fear that the wild hunt will fucking snatch you up and break your neck. For those of you who always have a little bit of liquor on hand just in case the Yule Goat comes. Even if the Yule Goat hasn't come in 150 years. That's Scandi Futurism, baby. Or even better, be the fucking Yule Goat. Scare your neighbor's kids. This is the essence, my friends. There's no hygge, there's no kusli, there's no Scandinavian Yule without a little bit of dread. Cosmic fucking dread. You should be scared for your life. Scared of bearded imposters sneaking into your home uninvited, or ghosts in the outhouse scaring you literally shitless. Fear and trembling, my friends. Mysterium fascinans et tremendum, as Rudolf Otto said. That's maybe the oldest Yuletide tradition of them all in Scandinavia, next to institutionalized alcoholism. Today, I have two stories that I'd like to read to you. Both of them are found in Flate Arbuk, which you might remember from our previous episode on Tormod Torfeus. The first one is a proper uh, loin sizzler of a Yuletide tale, and the other one is more of a, well, Let's call it a scatological ghost story, but I think that's pretty on brand for the season anyway. As above, so below, and what goes in must come out. 
So on this return to the storytelling format, we're going to do just as we did with the Yuletide special on Saint Thorlac and his very Icelandic catalogue of miracles, just to kind of set the mood, which means that whenever you hear this sound, that means we're starting a new segment. But before we start the next segment, actually, I don't want to do any long-winded intro shit. Let's just have some fun. But let me at least introduce myself. My name is Erik Stolzen. I'm the host of this podcast. Unless you didn't fucking figure out by now. And I'm an old Norse philologist. And you're listening to the Brute Norse Podcast. Where we walk backwards into the future. This is the 2021 Yuletide special. Which I don't know what's called yet. <laughs> the Tale of Thorleifr Jarlskald. Now I shall tell you a story that happened in the latter years of the rule of Håkon Jarl of Fladir, and the arts and the galder and the sorcery by which he was dishonored. It fared so with him, as with many people, that when the day of reckoning arrives it is not to be avoided, for that is the nature of the devil, that the man whom he believes to have completely in his power, and who has no hope of God, deceives and seduces with his tricks and calculated cunning throughout his feeble lifetime. But at the end of his earthly life, he is thrust into darkness and drudgery, suffering and evil without end. There once was a man called Osgir Redpelt at the farm of Brekka in Svarvadalr in Iceland. With his wife Torhild, he had three sons. There was Olaf, the eldest, called Bonebreaker. Then there was Helgi, the bold, and finally Thorleibr, the youngest, a talented boy who mastered many skills and feats, and above them all, he was a skilled poet. Thorleibr was fostered by his uncle Skeggi, and people say that he taught Thorleibr about a great many ancient things, perhaps even more than people realized. But one day in his youth, Thorleif and his brother Olav murdered a fellow called Klauvi the rabble-rouser, and many things of note happened that are more thoroughly described in Svavrdala saga. Soon enough, however, Thorleifr was outlawed and forced to flee, and with the help of his kinsmen amassed the capital to pursue a career as a seafaring businessman in mainland Scandinavia. Now it happened that Thorleif and his crew came to Wik in eastern Norway, where he hoped to sell some of his choice Icelandic exports. There he met Håkon Jarl the Great, who at the time ruled the entirety of Norway. He greeted him well and asked him his name, his kin, and ancestry. Thorleifr happily told him, and the Jarl asked him about news from Iceland and the wares that he was peddling. So let's see what you have here. Cold-pressed seal cub oil. Hmm. <laughs> Extra virgin? And what do we have over here? Cod-skin shoes. Hmm, very nice. What else? Uh, uh, walrus penis bones? Uh, narwhal powder? Mm, Dolman brand salted horse. I'll take one of these right now, if you don't mind. Now a sausage lander. Thorvi? Thorfin? Thorstein? Thorleifr, my lord. Ah, yes. Thorleifr. Here's the deal. You're going to sell me these wares on credit with a discount, and that's how it's going to be. You can fuck off back to Greenland or wherever you came from afterwards. That's about as good as you can do in these parts. So, let's drink to it, shall we? To business! The Jarl hadn't even made him an offer, but was eager to close the deal. But Thorleifr was in no rush. 
Excuse me, my lord. I think I am the one to decide who I want to do business with, and frankly, I think I can do a lot better taking my business somewhere else. The Jarl sized him up and didn't like these words very much, but Thorleivr didn't give a shit. The next morning, Thorleivr rose early to go to market and strike some bargains. What he didn't know was that the dastardly Håkon Jarl would ambush his crew while he was away. And when Thorleivr returned, he found his ship burnt to ashes, his goods ransacked, and his men dangling from the rafters of their booths. He immediately understood that this badness was committed by Håkon Jarl. He composed a poem about this. Ahem. The mind is fucking lost, for this young man has suffered on the beach the loss of boat and ship. But who knows, perhaps the grill master of the elephant of the wave and the cold coals he left behind will inspire me to close my tab and cook the chief a dish best served cold. The seasons came and went, and soon came winter, and with it the cold and dark yuletide. But in the Jarl's hall at Ladir, they were preparing a grand feast for the winter bloat, and many of Norway's greatest and most renowned people were in attendance for the festivities. But there was also the rabble, delegated to sit in the hay far from the heat of the fire at the edge of the hall, hoping for a scrap of food to eat or other tokens of the Jarl's hospitality. Then in came a man, unnoticed and unchallenged, ragged and portly but feeble, and with a great big white beard, leaning on crutches. Now, dear listener, I'm sure you're wondering, who could this be? Could this perhaps be Odin himself paying the Jarl a Yuletide visit? Hmm. Not quite. Because if you were there, and you looked real close, you might notice that this ragged and portly beggar was none other than Thorleivr, dressed up in beggar's rags, and a sack stuffed under his shirt. And the beard? Well, he'd taken that from a billy goat that he met on his way. As he sat down along with the other beggars, he began to pinch and whack them with his crutch so that they cried and retreated and complained so loudly that the Jarl took notice and demanded to know what was going on. There's a mean old wretch here, my lord, who won't let us be. He, he, he pinches and strikes us. Really? Come up here and explain yourself, you old crab. You can't just come here and beat the vagrants like you own the place. What's your name, old man? Now the old hobo rose and faced the Jarl. Oh, my name is a strange one, my lord. My name is Creep Wimperson. I come from the sorrow dales of cold Sweden. Creep the Creepy, they call me. I have traveled far and wide and visited many chieftains. I have now gotten so old that I honestly can't quite recall how old I am. <coughs> ah, but I have heard many things about your style of rulership, your resoluteness, your wisdom, your friendliness, honesty, humility, resourcefulness, beauty. Hmm, all right, but why are you such a miserly old fart that you can't get along with your peers? What can you expect from one who lacks all but fuss and misery, and who has long lain out in the woods and wilderness, but to grow bitter with age? when he once was used to the honor and glory of the noblest chieftains, but is now hated by every unwashed dunce he sees. Well then, beggar, do you know anything since you claim to have spent your time among chieftains? 
That might well be, my lord, but you know what they say. None of us are getting any younger, and it is said that it is hard for the hungry to boast. And I will not boast for you, unless you plan to give me something to eat. For I am worn by age, hunger, and thirst, to such a degree that I don't think I can even stand upright any longer. Besides, it is rather unlordly to ask a stranger about this and that without any consideration for the man himself, for everybody needs to eat and drink. Okay, okay, you shall have your meal. The Jarl called the order that the beggar was to be well fed and have every bit as much as he needed. But when the beggar sat down at the table, he helped himself greedily to all the platters he could reach. So great was his appetite that the servants soon had to deck the tables with more food, and still the beggar kept at it. Many guests laughed at the old man, joking about his enormous appetite and his big belly, unaware that he was dishing the food under his billy goat beard and straight into the sack that he hid under his tunic. The beggar didn't care what any of them said, but kept pigging out on all the food. When the drinking tables were finally taken away, the beggar creep now went before the jarl and said, I'll give you my thanks, my lord. Even though you got some lousy servants who will do everything you tell them, worse than how you told them to do it. Now, if you could do me this service, my lord, to listen to this poem that I have composed for you. Really now, the jarl said. Have you made poems about chieftains before? That I have, my lord, he said. And the jarl responded, this might well be a case where that old proverb rings true, that it is often good which is sung by the old. Now, beggar, perform your poem, and we shall listen. Now, in the unassuming guise of a beggar, Thorleifr began his performance. And it was good, in the beginning. There was praise in every stanza, and even the feats of Eirikir, the Jarl's son, were mentioned. But as the poem progressed, the contents got progressively worse. And so did the Jarl. He began to feel strange and queasy, an itch began to spread in his nether regions, and particularly around his buttocks. Now the Jarl could not do anything but squirm. He was in a frenzy to scratch that terrible itch. He ordered his servants to scratch his ass with combs, but no matter how hard and deep they went, with broad and hasty strokes, there was no respite. Can't you fucking chant better? This is a dishonor! Make this stop or you'll pay! Thorleivr was only beginning, and as the poem went on, the Jarl had no choice but to demand his servants tie three knots into a tablecloth and pull it back and forth through his buttocks like a timber saw, while the mightiest of Norway looked upon their king in utter shock. Now Thorleivr was entering the section of the poem Jarl's Need, which is called the Songs of Fog, and the hall was plunged into pitch-black darkness. And as he entered the third and final part of the poem, every weapon present in the hall came loose, completely without the guidance of human hands, maiming and killing both housefolk and guests. The Jarl fell unconscious, and the beggar fled through the chaos, through closed doors and locks, and now that the poem was over, the light slowly returned to the hall. As the Jarl came to his senses, he saw and felt what the poem had done to him, for his beard had completely rotted off his face, and so had the hair on one side of his head, and never would either of them grow back again. Now the Jarl had the hall cleaned and the bodies removed, and he realized that this had been Thorleivr Oskerson, and not a beggar. And he thought now that they were even. I think that Håkon Jarl learned himself a little Yuletide lesson. Don't you agree? As for Thorleivr, he went to Denmark and the court of Swain Forkbeard 
who treated him with much honor and gave him the name Jarlskald. The Tale of Thorstein the Terror Once upon a time, the good king Olaf Tryggvason was attending feasts around Vik and elsewhere in the east of Norway. He came to a farm called Reina, along with his bold retainers and large entourage. Among them was a man called Thorstein, who was the son of Thorkel, who was himself the son of Osker the Hot-Headed, who was the son of Audun the Shaft. Thorstein was an Icelander, and had come to the king the winter before. In the evening, as they sat at the drinking tables, King Olaf ordered that under no circumstance should any man go alone to the outhouse at night. And whoever felt the urge to answer the call of nature should ask their bunkmate to come along with them. Otherwise, he said, they'd be in for a terrible mess. Now they drank well, all evening, and when the drinking tables were taken away, each and every one of them went to sleep. Then, a little while into the night, nature's call did indeed beckon for Thorstein, the Icelander, and he felt an urge to leave the bed. The next man over slept so tight that Thorstein didn't want to wake him up, so he got up and pulled his shoes over his feet and wrapped himself in his cloak and went over to the shithouse alone. The outhouse was rather grand, and the seats could fit eleven men, on each side respectively, facing each other. He sat down in the far end, closest to the wall. He sat there for a while, and then someone appeared. 
some thing, a puck, an imp, a wee devil. And as soon as it came, the imp took a seat in the opposite end. Thorstein looked down the row and asked, uh, Who's there? And the fiend replied, Here is Thorkel the Thin, who died in battle with Harald Wartooth, along with many heathen men. Uh, okay. Uh, so where did you come from? Thorstein responded. Well, I just dropped in from hell, he said. Okay. So what's new in hell? asked Thorstein. And the other one replied, Well, you tell me. What do you want to know? So, um, considering the circumstances, in your opinion, who does best in hell? Thorstein asked. You know what? I'm going to go with uh, Sigurd the Dragon Slayer, says the fiend. Really now, says Thorstein. What kind of suffering does he have to suffer, if you don't mind me asking? He's a stoke in a big old fireplace, says the devil. That doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, I wouldn't say that, says the entity. You see, he's the fuel. Bufta, says Thorstein. Yeah, you betcha, says the imp. Yeah? Yeah. 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 So, dare I ask who takes to suffering the worst? Ah, that'd be Starcad the Old. Because he just screams and screams, so there's never a moment's peace to be had for the rest of us. I swear it's worse to listen to than our actual punishments. Really now? How is he being tortured? He's got fire up to his ankles. That doesn't sound so painful for such a champion. You misunderstand me, said the Revenant. He's upside down. <laughs> Oida, says Thorstein. Yo, yo, says the imp. Do you mind screaming like Starcad? So that I can just, you know, so just so I can picture it. Coming right up, said the imp, and let his jaw drop, erupting into the most blood-curdling shriek, while Thorstein covered his ears with his cloak. Fiss, Satan, is this how he cries when it's at its worst? Far from it, said the Revenant. That's just how us wee devils cry. So try to actually scream like Starcad does, said Thorstein. Sure, can do, said the fiend who then began to scream a second time, and so terrifyingly that Thorstein found it astounding that such a small devil could make such a racket. Thorstein did as he had done before, and swept his cloak around his head, but still it was too much to bear. The fiend cried as if to say God was dead, and Thorstein fainted. What's the matter? Cat got your tongue? Thorstein regained his senses and answered, I was just flabbergasted by how such a terrible noise could be produced by a devil no bigger than yourself. But is this really the loudest the Starcat can scream? Absolutely not. I'd say that this is him at his most silent. Well, get your thumb out of your ass then and give it to me for real, Thorstein demanded. The devil obliged, and Thorstein braced himself. This time he folded the cloak, wrapped it around his ears, and held it tight with both hands. The spirit had moved three spots closer for each scream, and now there was only three spaces between them. Now it gaped wider than ever before, and screamed so loud that its eyes popped out of its hideous, apish mockery of a head. That seemed to be well beyond anything that Thorstein had ever heard. And in that very moment, just as Thorstein plunged into the floor unconscious and bare-assed, the church bells rang. The church bells had such an effect on the demon that he fell through the floor, and for the longest time you could hear the earth rumbling down below. Thorstein soon regained consciousness and he went back to bed without saying a word. 
Morning came and everyone got up. The king went to church and observed the service. After that, they went to their tables, and the king was not particularly glad. You'll have to excuse me for not being in a particularly gay mood. But I need to know, is there anyone here who went party last night, alone? The response did not wait. Thorstein gallantly rose up and in one swift sweep threw himself down before the king and said that he had defied the king's order. Not to go alone to the bathroom, but to bring a friend. This was of no harm to me, but you confirmed that which is said often about you Icelanders, that you are quite autonomous. Now tell me, boy, what did you see? Thorstein told him everything, every dirty little detail that had happened between those four walls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. But uh, what did you seek to gain from him screaming like that? That I will tell, my lord. As you had warned us of venturing out alone, I knew that I would not leave that outhouse unscathed when that monster appeared, and I thought you would awaken Sire from his screams, and would have thought myself saved if only you would hear it. And so it was. I awoke, and I knew then what was up, and that is why I rang the bell, for I knew that otherwise you would not manage. But tell me, boy, were you not afraid when the devil began to scream? Fright, answered Thorstein. I do not know what that means, my lord. Do you mean to tell me that you had no terror in thy breast? Asked the king. None whatsoever, said Thorstein. But all, almost during the last scream, I'll be the first to admit. To this the king responded. Hmm. Very good. Now I shall increase your name, and henceforth you shall be called Thorstein the Terror. Here, let me give you this sword as a gift to fasten your name. Thorstein thanked him for this. It is said that Thorstein became Olaf's retainer, and stayed by his side since. He fell on the ship called the Long Serpent, along with the king and his other warriors, at the Battle of Swalder. The End Of course, this would not be the Brute Norse Yuletide special if I wasn't also here to mention, in case you still don't know, that the pre-Christian Scandinavian Yuletide celebrations did not in fact fall on the winter solstice, probably, as many people tend to assume. I have written a fairly influential article on this, if I may say so myself, and I'll link to that in the show notes below. But long story short, Yule has always been a prolonged ceremonial phase. And as far as we can tell, before the Christianization, the culmination of the holiday occurred in an astronomically determined event, namely the first full moon in the first lunar month that comes after the solstice. I'd say that Brute Norse is a fairly lunar concept. You know, sometimes the moon vanishes and does moon shit out of sight, and I'm kind of like that as well. Sometimes I vanish and people wonder where the hell I am. I could be working in the shadows, or I could be hiding behind the cloud, and then I turn up again, and who the hell knows where I was in the meantime? And who cares? It's a new episode. Think of the Yuletide episode as kind of a winter solstice, if you will. The darkest point of the solar year, providing an anchor for the lunar year to bounce back on. Otherwise, the fucking lunar year would just spin uncontrollably backwards, because the lunar phases start a little earlier every year. But you kind of want the months to kind of stay in place and at least within the proper seasons. That's how the old Scandinavian lunisolar calendar worked. Just to repeat myself, I have a whole article explaining this shit, so I don't have to repeat this every year. 
the first full moon of the second Yule month. That's probably when all of the most important Yuletide shit happened, with sacrifices and banquets and heavy helpings of the Yuletide ale that the law actually demanded every household to brew. One of the reasons why I do this episode is that it's it is kind of a cool thing, you know, it's a tool that you can use for whatever you want, whether you want to do something big or something small, I don't really care, you can do whatever you like. But to me personally, I find it a bit important. It's important because this was such a grand occasion back in the day, in the world that I tried to explore in this podcast, and that I personally have spent, by now, half my life trying to get a better understanding of. It was the most important uh, religious holiday, if you want to use that term. And I'm frankly just thankful that we're even able to reconstruct the timing of this event. And that's not really something you can take for granted in this field. There's so much stuff that is lost, and this isn't. And it's no small thing. It's a tiny window into how these people conceptualize time itself. And their society was partially structured around such systems. That in itself was of great importance in Norse mythology. Among the first things that the goddess did after the world's creation was to produce tools. They created houses and temples, held the first courts, and determined cycles for the heavenly bodies to allow people to tell time. This was no small thing for people who lived a thousand years ago. It was no small thing for the people who lived two thousand years ago, three thousand years ago. This was an essential technology to them something deriving directly from the gods, and which connected them to their gods as well as their ancestors. And it's only natural that we, in our own way, see it the same, when we're now picking up the pieces, reconstructing the calendar academically. Even if we don't live just as they did in a lunisolar year, or even if that thread of tradition is severed, that the gods are dead or comatose, whether or not that is the case, that's not the point. I'm not here to practice theology. What you choose to do with this, that's up to you. But consider it my little Yuletide gift to you. So, for this season, the first month of what they would have called Yule, Ylir, when the new moon appears on January 2nd, 2022, in that cycle, the moon will reach its full extent on January 18th. And somewhere around that time is when the magic happens. Originally, of course, this was a multi-day festival. I'm just putting it out there, you don't have to sacrifice a horse or decapitate a bull, you can just make some cocktails with some friends or cook a stew. Maybe burn a nice little bonfire and pour one out for gods both strange and unknown, whether deaf, dumb, blind, dead, or very much alive. For the customs and habits of old, may they never be forgotten. Hey, thank you for listening. Many of the musical contributions that you heard in this episode comes from Langsamt mot Nord, alongside themes contributed by my trusty helper Helge Talkstall. There are more than enough grifters in the world, but I'll be satisfied with putting it out there that if you really enjoy what I do with Brute Norse, supporting me on Patreon definitely does not hurt me. But even a quick follow or shoutout actually does wonders for my reach. So, if you have like-minded friends, tell them. Shout it from the rooftops. But whatever you do, thank you anyway for listening to this episode of Brute Norse. And let me end this final episode of the solar year with a nice toast to you and yours. For year and peace. Till ors och fridar.